You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. I just want to reiterate what Josh just said. I am so grateful for the fathers in this congregation that portray to their families an image such that they honor Heavenly Father as He is glorified because of the image that their fathers have. I know of so many people that think of their father and then they think of the Heavenly Father and they say, I don't want a Heavenly Father who's like my father. And so I'm grateful for you men who are standing on the Word of God and leading your families well. Thank you for that. I really do thank you for that. Lastly, I want you to know each and every one of you this week, I've prayed for you by name, if I know your name, that this passage would affect you as deeply as it affected me. That God would get a hold of your heart and that he would glorify himself through that. And so we find ourselves at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, chapter 6 of Luke, And I'm going to read that now and realize this is God's holy word. This is Luke 6, 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does any bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of, the treasure, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus here brings his sermon to a conclusion. Let's reset the scene where he gave this sermon. Jesus, having chosen the twelve, having healed many of their physical infirmities, and having cured some of unclean spirits, spent a brief time bringing them a radical set of teachings. These teachings showed the characteristics of true followers of him, unusual and revolutionary, to say the least. So far, he has contrasted the blessings of heaven for kingdom people with the woes of those whose kingdom is here and now. He shows the meaning of a complete love, a love that would be impossible 
without his help. Here he demonstrates the supernatural character qualities of those that truly follow him. He also encourages those who follow him to look deep inside at the condition of their heart. Now, he concludes his sermon with two very sobering illustrations of the marks of a disciple. Starting in verse 43, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. My first point is this. True discipleship requires internal examination. Again, true discipleship requires us to internally examine our heart. Jesus has finished teaching about hypocrisy and how important it is for us to truly examine our inner self. We all have blind spots that others clearly see we're blinded to their very existence. We're dismayed when others point them out to us. God in the person of the Holy Spirit graciously reveals our heart if we humbly seek. If we humbly seek him willingly and able to listen to what he says. Hypocrisy was a sin that Jesus repeatedly chastised the Pharisees about. In Matthew 12, he said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? In Matthew 23, he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And in Matthew 15, he says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus was disgusted with the Pharisees. He was disgusted with them living a lie, trying to appear godly on the outside, but evil on the inside. Here in verse 43, we see three true statements that are prefaced by the conjunction for. Look at the text. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For... Each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. These truths are self-evident. No surprise here. Well, 
Paul Tripp, in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, has this illustration. Let's say I have an apple tree in my backyard. Each year, its apples are dry, wrinkled, brown, and pulpy. After several seasons, my wife says, it doesn't make any sense to have this huge tree and never be able to eat any apples. Can't you do something? One day, my wife looks out the window to see me in the yard carrying branch cutters, an industrial staple gun, a ladder, and two bushels of apples. I climb the ladder, cut off all the pulpy apples, and staple shiny red apples onto every branch of the tree. From a distance, our tree looks like it's full of a beautiful harvest. But if you're my wife, what would you think? What would you be thinking of me at this moment? If a tree produces bad apples year after year, there's something drastically wrong with its system down to its very roots. I won't solve the problem by stapling new apples to the branches. They also will rot because they're not attached to any life-giving root system. Next spring, I'll have the same problem again. I will not see a new crop of healthy apples because my solution has not gone to the heart of the problem. If the tree roots remain unchanged, it will never produce good apples. These truths help to reveal the obvious. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And in contrast, the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. Fruit is the manifestation of the nature of the organism. So what does Jesus mean when he says the heart? How is the heart defined? We can think of this as the person, as the person, as he or she is in their deepest thought and being. Get that? The heart of a person, when the scriptures talk about the heart of a person, it means as he or she is in the deepest thought and being. The heart reflects what the person truly is. <clears throat> their mind, their will, their emotions, motivations. Within that idea is the concept that there is something or someone that is supreme, one that rules the heart. In other words, there's a treasure that is cherished and guarded as having the prime spot in a person's life. Examples of the treasure are, we all know this one, self, idols such as gods, a person's work, money, power, prestige, God. The focus of the heart is what the treasure is. I had a friend in college who was interested in investing in gold. He wasn't rich. He had very little at that time, actually. 
But what he did have, he decided to invest in gold. He saved up his money and brought a small amount of gold, bought a small amount of gold in hopes that it would increase in value and he'd be able to cash in for a profit. Several years later, he was telling this story. What he realized was that every day he had that gold, he looked in the newspaper to see what the price of gold was that day. He obsessed over it. He spent many hours over several months thinking about his gold investment. At the end of that period of several months, he sold the gold for almost no profit. What he realized from that was that gold had become his idol, become the focus of his whole existence. It was truly the treasure of his heart. We see from this passage that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Then there's this final four statement. Gets to the crux of the matter of the whole sermon. The whole sermon that he's preached that we've gone over these last four weeks comes to this point. We see from this person that the passage, whoa, I, see, bear with me. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That which is cherished produces fruit. That fruit may be good or evil. Even more accurately, as we can see from this passage, that the focus of the heart is the treasure of that heart. Every heart treasures someone or something. The treasure is that which is cherished, worshipped, or even idolized. The motivating force of our life. Every heart will treasure, will treasure someone or something. That intention will be nurtured and grown. The treasure is of the utmost importance and is the center of that person's thought, contemplation, and time. What is the treasure of your heart? What is it that occupies that central pedestal? Is it the person of Jesus Christ? Or is it something or someone else? Anything or anyone other than Christ is an idol. So what we're seeing from this is that the heart is a central theme of the whole sermon. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul shows us that we were all spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. The true nature of man's heart since the fall of Genesis 3 is sinful and is full of pride. Our identity is wrapped up in self. The treasure of our heart is us. Just as a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, so without a change of our heart, a miraculous change, we cannot help but be anything but what our sinful nature compels us to be. 
We try to bear good fruit, but it's not in our nature. So we staple fruit to the branches, hoping that we'll be something we're not. It's impossible for us to live up or to live out the life of a disciple as Jesus has been preaching without a complete change of our heart. In the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 36, the Lord God was lamenting over the disobedience and the idolatry of his people Israel. And then in verse 24, this is what he says. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean with, or clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And then in verse 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you see that? He didn't ask them to change. He said he would remove their hearts of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. And that he would put his spirit within them and cause them to walk in his statutes. They had rebelled and worshiped and idolized other gods, failed to obey his commandments, and essentially alienated themselves from him. And yet, he chose to be merciful and gracious by removing their heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. John chapter 3 records an encounter between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had heard or had seen and heard what Jesus had done and was trying to figure out how Jesus could do the miraculous things he did. Jesus responded with the statement that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Later on in verse 16 of the same chapter, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes him, believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. Paul in Ephesians 2 shows that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive together with Christ. He has given the Christian a new heart. What's your heart? Is it a heart of stone or have you been born again? Are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Trying to staple the apples on the apple tree and look like a healthy, productive apple tree? Unless there's a transformation of your heart, there will be no lasting fruit. You will continue to be a hypocrite. Unless Christ is your treasure, Everything that comes out of you will be to glorify whatever idol is your treasure. So, we come to the conclusion of the first point, which is, again, true discipleship requires internal examination of the heart. 
Second point. True discipleship applied is manifested externally. First point, we look inward. Second point, it's manifested outward. Verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus ends the sermon with this very pointed question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Remember again, Jesus is speaking to a mixed crowd. The crowd has gathered from near and far. It was made up of different kinds of people. Some have come to hear his teachings because they heard, because they heard how miraculous he was. Some have come just to get some healing. Others had come to follow him. Many of them said, I do believe that you are the son of God. Many would believe that he was not just a good man, but actually God. His question to them is not whether they understood what he was teaching, but having understood that, will they actually do what he was calling them to do? He shows us two types of individuals. There's a type that has come and has heard the words of Jesus and does them. And there's also the type that has come and heard these words but doesn't do them. It gives an illustration of constructing a house. There are several things that we can understand from this illustration. It's most likely that these two houses, if you were to look at them, look very similar. They were probably in a similar location built by a stream. It's most likely that the similar materials were used to construct the houses. It's also likely that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two houses just looking at them. The difference was the foundation. The one man spent time constructing the foundation prior to building the house. The other man was hasty and built the house on the ground without a foundation. Let's talk about foundations. On my way to work the last six weeks, I've driven by the site for the construction of the new South Texas Pregnancy Care Center. You know where it is up there on Kingsbury Avenue? Heavy equipment was delivered to clear the land. They dug a hole, which was clearly delineated with stakes to, re to reflect the size of what was going to be constructed. They dug deep down. 
and laid several layers of compacted sand to establish a strong base for the concrete soon to be poured. They have toiled in the South Texas sun. They have dedicated much material and man hours and heavy equipment to the establishment of the foundation. Prior to the construction of the building, much effort has been expended to make sure that there's a strong foundation for the building. Once the building is completed, it's unlikely that the results of this phase will even be noticed. The only thing that will be noticed will be the building itself built upon the foundation. Back to the illustration, at the completion of the houses, one would be hard-pressed to tell the difference. All would be well until a flood arose and the stream broke against the house. Notice that the houses were built by the stream in the Middle East. It doesn't rain much. When it does rain, it often rains quite hard. And the streams fill up with water quickly and can rise quickly and fall quickly as the water has passed. Any wise person who builds a house near a stream would know that. Any wise person would expect at some point to have that stream rise and become a problem. Both the builders would know that. The difference between the two builders is that the one who built his house in haste lost his whole investment when the flood came. The other builder, knowing that the flood eventually would come, had built his house ready for that eventuality. The arduous task of laying the foundation deeply and firmly had prepared the house to stand the strong, to stand strong in the floodwaters. Jesus says that everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them my words and does them, is like the builder of the house with the firm foundation. The evidence of discipleship, the evidence of the true follower of Christ who has a new heart of flesh, who's been born again, the fruit identifying what kind of tree, that evidence is what is done in obedience to Christ. The evidence of what has occurred internally is manifested externally. Good fruit, good works, faithfulness in discipleship. Faithfulness is discipleship that is lived out. That life will be like a house built upon the firm foundation on the rock. The trials of life, and they will come, reveal or prove that which has occurred internally. In contrast, that person who comes and hears but does not manifest obedience to Christ's commands will be like a house not built on a firm foundation. When trials come, and they will come, destruction and ruin occur. This is worse than if no house had been built. The occupants of the house felt safe 
and secure. And were deceived into thinking that everything was okay. Their loss was great. So in this sermon, Jesus gives a picture of what it means to follow him. This Christian life is impossible to live without a changed heart. A born-again life. A total transformation. Only that disciples, disciple whose heart is where the good treasure, Christ rules, will be able to live supernaturally as he describes earlier in the sermon. It's impossible. So we go back to the Beatitudes. It's impossible to be poor in spirit without a changed heart. It's impossible to hunger and thirst after righteousness without a new heart. It's impossible to be persecuted for Christ's sake and rejoice in that without a new heart. It's impossible to love radically, to love our enemies. It's impossible for us to not be hypocritical unless Christ rules in your heart. So just as Christ taught the crowd at that time, his sermon again has been preached to a crowd. Who are we? What types of people are gathered here today? Some in this crowd come questioning and wondering what Christianity is all about. Maybe you come with a believing friend or spouse. Maybe life is hard and you're seeking answers from the church. You've heard words of truth, but you've never been born again. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. You continue to occupy the throne of your life and have something other than Christ that you worship. Your heart has never been turned from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You continue to be dead in your trespasses and sin, spiritually. You have been blinded to the truth. The good news, the good news is that there's hope for you. I think you'd agree that you haven't led a perfect life. You've sinned, as we all have. That sin has caused there to be a separation between you and the holy, almighty God. Our holy God will not tolerate sin in his presence. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that all sin deserves God's righteous judgment. The good news is that God sent his only son, Jesus, to live a holy life, to die on a cross in order to take holy God's wrathful punishment upon himself and offer himself as a sacrifice in our place in order that we might have our sins forgiven and have everlasting life. So what must you do to get out of that dilemma? Confess your sin to God. Confession means that you agree with God that it's sin. 
Repent from your sin, which means to turn away from it and trust Christ. Follow him and keep his commandments and allow him to be the good treasure of your life. This is what Jesus meant in being born again. In doing so, your evil heart will be changed to a good heart. Christ will be your good treasure. Most of us in here have come as part of the crowd and heard his words. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that he died and rose again. We believe that he lives in heaven. We've trusted him for forgiveness of sin. But there's some where there's no real evidence of a changed heart. Some have cried, Lord, Lord. But when it gets right, it gets right down to it, you're like a bad tree with stapled fruit. Maybe you're a good tree, but not producing any fruit. It's a dicey position to be in. You may be a person who believes all the right things, but there have been there's never been a, a true transformation of your heart. You may think all is well because you keep stapling fruit to the tree. Or maybe you've been truly born again, but now your treasure is something other than Christ. You hear, but don't follow in obedience. As the hasty builder, your position is quite precarious. When the trials come, you will have no foundation to depend upon. Your life is characterized by holding to a form of godliness, but yourself is still king. One writer describes this as hollow people. Moral, but loveless. Learned, but vain. Emotional, but unaffected. Examine your heart. Turn from the idolatry, whatever it is, and follow after Christ and keep his commandments. Others of us here, bring joy to my heart. Like the wise builder who built his house on the rock. What does it mean for us to be doers of the word, not hearers only? A call to discipleship is a call to committing to our Savior. We commit our time, efforts, relationships, every aspect of our life to Christ. That requires being students of his word, cherishing his word. It requires getting to know him in prayer requires being a part of the body of Christ and fulfilling your role in that body. All of that requires cherishing the good treasure, Christ above all else. That's what discipleship is applied. We're doers and not hearers only. Moreover, let me conclude with this thought. 
following after Christ is not burdensome. But it's the overwhelming pleasure of our hearts. The Heidelberg Catechism in 1563 speaks of being born again as turning from the natural delight of ourself to a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to. Christ is a great boss. He's a great king. He's gentle and he's lowly. He's a friend of sinners. He comes to the conclusion of this sermon. And he basically is saying to us, a trustworthy king is worthy of our worship. Let me pray. Father, each one of us here is unworthy of your love. And we know that. Father, for those who don't know you, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their heart right now and bring them to a point of loving you and committing to you through these steps of confession and repentance and trusting you. I pray that those of us that have known you but aren't walking with you, Lord, grab our heart turn it towards you, become our good treasure. Let us from this day forth worship you as our king. And for the others who have walked with you and continue to walk with you and you are the good treasure of their heart, Father, give us the filling of your Holy Spirit that we might walk that out in obedience to you. In Christ's name I pray.